You know, I had somebody today I was talking to who told me that there was a girl who passed out in his class today. Whoa. Yeah, right? And like the, he said, the, the, the best part was that the professor didn't even notice. Hmm. Like, yeah. Can you imagine that? Like somebody just in the front of your class just like starts to pass out and then like you all just look at each other. Medical passing out, weather passing out, anxiousness passing out, water, dehydration passing out. I have no idea. And he didn't know either. And they didn't, I don't think they called like anybody for it. You know, I think it was just like it happened and they were like, what? Uh, but yeah, it's crazy. Did you have anything crazy happen to you in class this week? No, it was boring. I mean, and boring uh... in the best possible way. I always appreciate it when you get a good group of people in class, when you're like sitting at one of the tables where people actually like to talk. That's always kind of nice, as opposed mm-hmm. to there just being awkward silence. I do have people I can count on that can kind of get a good discussion going because it's always awkward when there's a question and then there's just sort of dead silence. So if you like to talk like me and if you find other people that like to talk, then class will be much more entertaining for sure. But no, nothing too interesting has happened yet with passing out or anything. But, you know, just you wait. The semester is still young. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I would feel that I, I think I feel the same other than, you know, the occasional oh my gosh, I'm late to the first day. Like, you know, that I, that did happen to me once this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I biked to class, so I was able to just hop on and get there in like eight minutes, which was great. Yeah, cycling is so efficient. I love cycling. I am going to shout it from the rooftops. I think that everyone, because it's way faster than, even if you did have a place to park, which you don't, but even if you magically had a place to park, there wouldn't be any advantage to driving because it's slower. You're having to dodge around all the pedestrians and people running stop signs and exactly. all the dumb stuff that happens on 7th Street. And so it's really not that fast versus walking is sort of fast. But if you are a cyclist, you get the best of both worlds. Go on the road when you need to go on the bike path when you need to dart down a little sidewalk and go or weave around all the cars in a totally legal and safe way. <laughs> stop at all the stop signs and you will get there so quickly. You're like getting all the benefits of a fast car, but all the nimbleness of a pedestrian. Just super helpful. Just make sure to lock your bike because I, I had to buy a U-lock not because anyone stole my bike, because I'm just sort of expecting people to steal my bike and trying to get ahead of it. Yeah, which I I am with you there. I uh, I have a lock as well. Um, but I, I think, well, okay, so what kind of bike do you use? It is a Cirrus Specialized. I think it's from like 2004 or something like that. Okay. Yeah, that's like, honestly, that's kind of what I wish I had. But what I do have is like a little five bike, which I love. I love that I have a little five bike. Oh, no way. That's what you're using to go to class? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, which is lots of fun. I mean... Wait, it only has one gear, though? Yeah, that, so there's two bad things about it. Number one, it only has one gear, which is really tough, especially when I come to, like, want to come back to CSF, because, like, no matter which way you go, you have to go up and down a big hill to get here, mm-hmm. which does suck a little bit. And then the other bad thing about it is that I'm always worried it's going to get stolen regardless, just because it's a little five bike. Yeah, the motivation to, like, saw through the lock here to get exactly. a free little five bike. So maybe, I don't know, use two locks, get a titanium lock or something. Yes. Well, see, that doesn't help me, though, when I'm late to class and I, like, you know, need to just like hop off and yeah, it's not, it's not good. But yeah, I mean, I love biking to campus because it's like you said, it's fast. Like I can leave, like if I leave 10 minutes before class starts, I mean, I can get there on time, Yeah. which I don't, I tried to get there earlier, obviously, but like if I have to, I can always leave and know that I can get to wherever I need to go like that. You know what I mean? Um, because if I was to walk to some of the classes that I have, it would take me Probably no less than like 15 minutes Mm -hmm. or maybe even 20, depending on how fast I'm walking. And that's a lot more energy spent. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I had to walk from, like, I had to walk for a while one, one day this week, and it sucked. I was like, this sucked. Like, <laughs> you have to walk every step. It's just, and like biking, you just zoom. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's less time wearing the heavy backpack or, you know, medium to heavy-ish backpack. And if it's cold, less time in the cold, hot, less time in the hot, and you get the breeze. It's just... It's truly the best thing. I think I've talked before on the show about how there are so many YouTube channels that examine the roles that, especially in Europe, not really very much in America, and Canada is kind of in the middle. The bike essentially has a big role in other countries that aren't the U.S. of here's an actual good way to get to work because there are paths mm-hmm. that are completely separate from the road you can go on. You don't have to worry about getting hit by a driver. You can just say, I'm going to completely bypass the road, go on this big and safe and well-maintained bike path, and then I get right where I need to go. And because of that, it's not... You're not forced to buy a car. It's not a requirement. Mm. Versus here, if you want to live your life, you essentially have to buy a car. Yes, you can kind of try to use the bus and kind of try to... It's just is clearly not built for that in any way. Mm-hmm. Which I wonder which came first. Like, did people love biking or cycling, I guess, first, and then they made the trails because of it? Or did they make the trails and then because of the trails, people loved cycling, so they started cycling? I think it was that the city wanted to encourage, my understanding from the videos, I, many, many videos I've watched, the city wanted to encourage less cars because cars are terrible for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And so they made sure there was plenty of good options for cyclists. And because plenty of good options for cyclists were set up, people were happy to use them. Because it's not that one common thought, <laughs> this is a whole rant, one common thought is that people like, oh, I, I people just like their cars. I couldn't couldn't live life without my car. The only reason you like it is because that's the only option. If it weren't for that, you'd just be kind of sitting in, in a room like with white walls all the time doing nothing. If there was somehow another way to get places, if you could snap your fingers, you'd like that better. So the question is, what's the most efficient and nice way to get places? And in some countries, it's the bike. But here, we're not quite there yet. Maybe in 35 years or something. Yeah, maybe in 35 years. Who knows? Who knows? But regardless, biking to class is always a good idea. If if you are physically able and you have a bike, it's fast, it's quick. You get there a little sweaty, but that's worth the price because you'd get there. You'd get sweaty if you walked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Zachary, what classes are you taking? My first class is a black markets class in which we talk about the impact black markets have on society. And someone apparently has once estimated that 30 to 40 percent of all the money that gets handed around is being handed around through black markets. And half the time, this stuff just exists to dodge taxes or to, you know, if the countries say you're not allowed to import this, well, we're sneakily importing anyway because people are willing to pay for it. So it's all about money, and there's a lot to unpack there. This is largely a discussion-based class and is actually one of the easier ones, and I've actually been liking this one quite a bit. Wow, that's pretty fun. Um, One of my first classes that I have is called Music and Film, which is something I'm really excited about um, because we get to basically watch a movie every weekend or we're assigned to watch a movie every weekend, but then, you know, analyze the music and talk about it in class. And because I'm a music person, I really enjoy like watching out for motifs and, uh, you know, diegetic and not, you know, like I, I pay attention to those things and I love that stuff. And, uh, we, we were assigned to watch Casablanca this weekend, which I'd never seen before, which by the way, if you haven't seen Casablanca is really good. You should, you should definitely watch it. It's, it's old and it feels old, but I loved it. I loved it a lot. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, music and film is one that I'm super excited about. It fulfills uh, one of my requirements to to get my minor. And uh, yeah, overall, I just really like it. And the classroom is in the Mac, which is super fun. So yeah, anyway, that's one of my first classes. The second one for me is A Study of Hip Hop. And not to be confused with rap, hip hop 
encompasses rap, but many other things, culture of the 1960s and 70s, and graffiti and many other things that went into sort of creating hip-hop culture. This is the only online one. This one has actually been taught. It's like an online hipster class in the sense that it was taught online before. Online classes were cool. I think ah. it was started in like 2003 or four, being taught online, and then, you know, changed with the times, of course, to use different software and everything because in the olden days if you wanted to join an online class you'd have to go you know to the computer lab and hook up your big old box screen and it was just terrible <laughs> no one likes to do that but now you can just sort of join the class from anywhere and it is synchronous so you just need to tune in and hear about hip-hop and then take your test and do all that online very convenient stuff i kind of wish more of my classes were like that but as the world opens up i must you know have peace with the fact i actually have to leave my room <laughs> So you don't like in-person classes? The ones online are just extremely convenient, and I can just mm. really knock out my work at a really good pace and really learn a lot of stuff quickly. Versus if you want to go to an hour class on campus, and that's your only class for the day, you have 35 to 40 to 50 minutes on one end, and then that again on the other end. Okay, that is true. That is true. And I will say, like, I you know, for longtime listeners, I was able to go to Florida last year because... Uh, multiple times because I could just do class from my computer and I didn't actually physically have to be on campus, which was really, really cool in one sense. Um, I mean, in another, I, that was kind of an excuse to put stuff off, but (laughs) I I am with you. Like, you know, online classes, even the synchronous ones are definitely more convenient for a lot of reasons, but I just, I love the in-person aspect, um, of, classes but that's just me yeah i can definitely respect that yeah so one of my next classes is called strategic content development i'm majoring in media with uh, a couple more concentrations in sort of the advertising avenue of that and that's kind of one of my higher level you know actually what i want to do classes which is really fun uh in one sense because like i'm learning the stuff that i want to be doing but in another sense, it's like, holy crap, I'm getting real close to graduating here because uh, this is some legitimate stuff, you know. But yeah, overall, I love the class so far and uh, it's really fun. So, yeah. In a similar-ish vein to that, I'm taking an editing class, which is is scary in what you said, in which case it's kind of signaling that as things get more specific, you start to think about the graduation. I mean, for me, I'm going to be halfway through before too long. You're going to be one year left before too long. Mm-hmm. This year has felt like it's gone really fast, if possible. I mean, considering how much I was home last year, that was a very slow year. This year's going fly, just flying by compared to last year. And that's making me think, again, have we, maybe it's on the topic list, we should talk someday about the strange way that time speeds up as you get older. Oh, heck yeah. The short version, when you were two, a year seemed like a hundred centuries, like from two to three. Oh, I've just, if this is what a year is like, how do 87 people, you know, 87 year old people even even live because it's just so annoying to get through a year Mm -hmm. and then by the time you're 15 16 17 18 it's just like one year one year one year one year and then that Mm -hmm. keeps happening and then then you're dead so you got to make every moment count i suppose Mm -hmm. yeah but editing class is fun (laughs) (laughs) yes for sure um yeah no that's straight up dude i'm about to turn 20 which is weird because i'm a junior but i it's a long story i skipped great but yeah don't worry about it like it's but like i just two decades just I don't know. That's that's a weird feeling to me to like. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's strange. Think you'll make it to 100? Uh, well, the way that I eat, probably not. <laughs> but I'm OK with it. I actually think I might make it to 100. I'm not sure if I want to, but you're along for the ride and you're going to see what happens. I mean, with modern technology, anything is possible. So this next one is called Media and Consumer Behavior, um, which is very similar to the strategic content development 
Um, but again, it's one of those, you know, higher level classes that is what I want to do. Uh, but so far it kind of seems like a drag, honestly, because we've just literally been recapping everything I learned in, uh, my advertising class last semester. The joys of the first week. Yeah. Right. It sucks. Like we had lecture tonight and it was like, what is media? What is advertising? What is paid me? Like, like all this stuff that I've been talking and learning about since like sophomore year and even the end of freshman. Anyway, the point is, uh, it should be an easy enough class, hopefully, but it might get it. Honestly, it probably will get more hard, but check back with me on that. We'll see how that goes. Next one for me is video game industry, which is all about not game design. I honestly think that my brother should go into game design school, but I definitely don't want to go into game design. I'm just interested in learning about how the video game industry works, how games are created and sold and marketed and all that good stuff. And then once I'm done with that, that's probably going to be the end of my video game path. There you go. I love that, dude. You should take music and video games. Yes. Uh, the one I took. Or did you already take that? That one is on the list of ones I'll think about. Okay, yeah, definitely take that. I loved that. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, that's that's how I played Hollow Knight uh, la- or two semesters ago. Yeah, you got college credit to play Hollow Knight. I did. I did. It was great. I'm only taking four classes this semester because there's too much going on. And I, I, I this like, so I was taking scuba. Uh, to get my scuba certification and believe it or not that doesn't actually count towards me graduating and plus there was lots of fees so i was like you know what i'll take it senior year if i really want to but you know how underwater basket weaving is the generic course that gets talked about is the one that's just kind of useless and you throw it and that's always when you say scuba i auto correct it in my mind to be underwater basket (laughs) it's like the complete goofy thing that like no one knows yes is that like oh let's put all these kids in a bus and have them go scuba or is that how does how does that even work so, okay, so from the only class that I went to before I dropped it, uh, what I learned was uh, it's not a thrill-seeking class. It <laughs> is a, we learned, now, they could have been, you know, they were probably over-exaggerating that so that thrill-seekers wouldn't, you know, push the limits. Um, but, you know, it's a class that they teach you a lot in, apparently, and you learn a lot about safety and how to do things well and how to do it right. And the the professor was talking about you can get these weekend certifications. Okay. And and they basically will just like rush through it in a weekend and technically you're certified, but you don't have nearly enough experience to actually do it well. So 99.999% classroom and then the quick rush you through certification process. Yes. Yes. Whereas this was more, or at least it looked like it was going to be more, you know, probably 50, 50 or even 60, 40, like Mm -hmm. classroom time learning about how to do this well, do it right and make sure that, you know, you don't get hurt and that you can do it well, uh, and then, you know, then we're going to get in the pool and we're going to strap all this stuff on you and you're going to breathe compressed air. Like, and that's, that's some crazy real stuff. And they like are pretty serious about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then halfway through the year before it gets too cold, there's a, uh, there's a certification place down in Mitchell, Indiana, and it's in an old quarry. Um, and that's where they take you to get certified. Uh, so you'll get in that and then you like go down to the bottom, make sure that you can breathe and then come back up. You know, I don't know what they do exactly, but, um, uh, you go out there and you can actually get certified with a national, uh, or like an international thing. And then you can go anywhere and scuba dive. Nice. Do you think you would take it again if the opportunity arose and you had actual free time in your life? You know, I think I would, because can you imagine just being able to say like, yeah, I can scuba dive. Like that's just something that I do on, Weird on, flex. on yeah, but okay. yeah, it's like occasionally I just, you know, throw myself underwater for long bounce no of time and breathe compressed air. It's not a big deal. 
Anyway, but yes, I think I would take it, uh, but that'll have to fit in between, you know, the history of the Beatles senior year and probably like ping pong or something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. My last but certainly not least class here is Computers. Uh, wait, what's the actual title for this? The actual title of this is Intro to Computers. And this one is, I think, maybe going to be the hardest, probably. I mean, I'm already fairly familiar with computers, but this is really has to do more with HTML, Excel, Microsoft Word, making pivot tables. I mean, one thing that I would be curious to actually learn about spreadsheets is pivot tables, because apparently they're magical and allow you to do all sorts of interesting things with data. So far, it's just been making like super basic web pages that look like they're from 1999 with HTML. <laughs> and it, it's a little confusing, but I mean, that's what the lab is for. You can go and talk to the people there or talk to the... You know, some of the students are pretty smart there. We're sitting in lab and I'm struggling to do things and the, the student way over there is making the most <laughs> fancy web page ever. I guess that's mm -hmm. how that's just par for the course. So you go talk to them at the end and they can help you. So that one's going just fine. Again, a lot with a lot of these, it's only been one one point one weeks on them. So who yes. knows what's actually going to happen? I'm just giving you my initial impression, which tends to be pretty accurate. Exactly. Yeah. And and I love that because I uh, in my Viscom class, we did the semester was broken into three parts and we did photography and editing in the first part, videography and editing in the second part and then coding in the third part. So I got to learn a lot about how to like make my own website and do stuff like that. And not necessarily that I know all the intricate workings, but I at least know what I'm looking at if I'm looking at like a line of HTML code, which is awesome. But yeah, that's awesome. So my last class, and, and by the way, just to clarify, the scuba one I'm not taking, I don't know if I ever actually said that, I dropped that. Yes, um, yes. But for the last class that I'm taking, it is, it's called Weather and You. It was just a gen ed that I didn't take and I needed, and it not only filled out like a gen ed credit, but it also filled out like a, a natural science and mathematics like credit requirement for me. So I'm taking that and um, it's going well so far. I don't think it's going to be super science-y, but also it kind of has to be, so we'll see if I can get out of there with anything better than a bee. We'll, we'll figure it out. Whenever it snows, you all should go outside into the big field and throw snowballs and talk about the science of snow and how it's formed and everything. <laughs> Honestly, I might. I've been really tempted to like when my uh, professor asks me something, just respond with, uh, wouldn't you like to know weather boy uh, and see what he does? Um, have you seen that vine? That, I'm staring blankly at the wall because, no, I've not Dang seen it. that vine. I was like, uh, wow, Joe got really disrespectful. Listen. <laughs> no, it's a vine. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Okay. All right. All right. Put it in the show notes. Here's like an actual customer out here. Uh, what's, uh, what's the best kind of firework to buy? Wouldn't you like to know, weather boy? Where are your parents? Get sketchy. Back to you guys. Link in the show notes. <laughs> Wasn't that great? It was okay. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, would your professor know better? That's the real question. Is your professor that hip enough to keep up with those vines and those kids? Well, I feel like all the classmates would be like super like into it. I don't know. We'll see. Do it on the last day when the final grade has been sent in and then call it a day. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Well, as always, I'd like to propose an icebreaker segment. And this is something that I talked about a while back with Josh Reynolds, who is in charge of CSF, the place that we spend a lot of time. He proposed kind of an interesting question. He said he sort of puts it forward anytime he wants to get to know someone better, which is that here's the question starting now. What is your ratio of alone time to one on one time to large groups? And so obviously all those numbers would add up to 100, but what percentage of the time is most healthy for you to have? Because of course there's going to be the people out there that are, oh, 80% of the time in one-on-one -on -one situations and then 10, you know, large groups and 10 by myself. Some people will be 
well, wait a second, what are you talking about? I want like 98 by myself and I need to recharge. And then some people, yeah. it, it just all depends. And of course, this gets into the classic, the most popular, I'd say, personality testing kind of deal is introverts versus extroverts. A lot of people get a lot of things wrong about this. We can talk about that some other day. But the, the question is, what is the, and you can kind of compare the actual ratio versus the ideal ratio. So the question is, what's the actual versus ideal one for you? I wrote in the notes here, my actual one is 70% alone, 20% one-on-one, 10% large groups. In a perfect world, it would be skewed slightly less large groups in favor of small groups. Hopefully that makes sense. That gives you 80, 15, 5, which if that sounds like a lot of numbers, I will actually just put these numbers in the show notes so you can just read them. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I honestly like that a lot. Um, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, at least recently, I would put alone time at like maybe 30%. I would say one-on-one time is probably something like 30%. And then I would say group time is probably like 40. But but see, also, one-on-one can kind of also, like, at the same time, you can do, like, I can have a one-on-one conversation with someone in a big group. You know what I mean? Oh, that's true. That throws a whole wrench. That throws a whole wrench. In that case, I do no large group time because in, e- in any given large group, all I'm doing is talking to one person at a time. And like, yeah. well, see you later. So in that case, my real ratio is like 70, 30, 0 or something. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I, I think with but as as far as technical amount of time that i spend in a in a at least recently i'm i'm finding myself having less and less alone time which is not good so because my my ideal ratio would probably be something like 50 30 20 that that's that's what i would want 50% alone time yeah yeah that's what retirement joe will do yes 50% alone time so yeah and and you're just in the period of your life where you can't make that happen which you know unfortunately it happens but you know you'll be You'll be working up in life, and one day you can do it. That's the thing. I would call myself an introvert, and so, like, I, when I get in the car to drive home, and I have, a, like, a, a like maybe five minutes to, to, to myself, that is, like, recharging to me. Like, that, that helps me to feel better about, you know, whatever. The day, myself, what I'm thinking about, like, whatever. Um, but then, you know, I feel like recently it's just been sort of, crazy as far as what people expect of me and so and nothing against that like i'm really glad to have all the opportunities i have but it just takes alone time for me and that's my own fault for signing up for so many things but (laughs) anyway that's another conversation next okay next week we should actually talk about something kind of interesting have you ever heard of getting things done i mean the concept well getting things done is actually the name of a book my bad i should have clarified that oh okay there's a book that is a very famous productivity book called getting things done have you ever and you probably have not heard of it Probably. I, yeah, I'm going to say no. It basically talks about what to do when you feel like there's more things to keep track of in your life than you can reasonably keep track of. And I read it at a time that I, it's like, yeah, I agree with that. I have too many things in my life and I, it's hard to keep track of them all. And then it kind of gives you some ideas and methods and systems for how to keep track of them. Anyway, very my speed. Maybe we'll talk about it someday. We'll see. <laughs> yes. I am glad for you. There are many, many good opportunities out there. Yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And, and I think it'll just be interesting to see how I cope with it all uh this semester and you all will get a front seat to that uh here on my weekly yeah the slow breakdown of joe <laughs> yes my weekly free psychiatrist meeting with you <laughs> um, uh, but yeah there we go yeah so now we're gonna do a album review time which i'm really excited about because as we've sort of talked about i listen to a lot of music um and not not crazy amounts recently um but i do love 
listening to music and analyzing it and looking for what I like and pointing out what I don't. Uh, and so, yeah, I would, I want to talk about a couple things. One, so, uh, John Mayer released a new album recently and it was, I think it was about a month or two ago now, but it was his first album in like four years. And so people were really excited about it. I was really excited about it. Uh, I, I had a friend tell me I need to listen to him. So I listened to all of his music, literally all of it last summer, um, which took a long time. And, uh, he ended up being like my number one listen to artist of the year or whatever, <laughs> which is no surprise. I think I was in like the, the, the top one point or sorry, 0.001% of his listeners or something. You always feel so proud when that happens. <laughs> Aren't I cool? I know. It's great. I'm so good. I listen to this artist more than basically everyone else in the world. Exactly. It felt amazing. Anyway, as for this album, I would say that out of 10, I would give it like a 7. And that's that's a, that's a generous 7. Um, because it was good, but it was also stupid. And what I mean by that is you have songs, great songs like, um, till the right one comes, right. Which is all about, and and I, when I listen to songs, I think about music and lyrics. And so that song is all about waiting for like the right person to come. And like, it's such a good song and one that I relate to a lot. And I like it that I like it for that reason, but also musically it's so like, it's so in between like modern pop and like old, like eighties pop. And I love that a lot. But then you have songs like Why You Know Love Me, right? And that, just by the title, you can tell that's a dumb song. Uh, And it wouldn't be dumb if he said, Why Won't You Love Me, right? But it's Why You Know Love Me, like a a meme from 2012. And it just, it was cringy, and I didn't like that song very much. And the other ones, honestly, were kind of forgettable, um, other than like a few throwaway lines here and there. Um, And so, like... I would say it's a generous seven for Sob Rock is the name of it. And only because I thought that what we were going to get was a callback to the 80s and this like soft yacht rock sort of thing going on. And it was soft, but it was too much. You know, it was like it was like too mild. You know what I mean? And I liked the sound of it. But again, a lot of it was just forgettable and it wasn't memorable. And I guess that's what forgettable means. But um but yeah, and then my only other one would be, uh, well, I could do a lot, but another one is Harmony House uh, by Dayglo. And if you've heard this album, uh, you may have wondered briefly if it was released this year or in the 1980s, because it is a true throwback to the Yacht Rock sound of the 80s, like the Kenny Loggins um uh, what is his name? I don't know. That sound, though, like the the sound of the 80s with the, you know, super synthy uh, pads and the harsh drums and the like the uh, not wispy, but sort of uh, distorted vocals at times um, is all just amazing. And I love it all. And it's such a callback to music that I grew up with, like because my dad just loves 80s music, you know. And so I, I love it a lot. I mean, you've got songs like Close to You, which is all about a sort like when you see somebody at a gathering that you don't know, but you instantly like just feel a connection with them, but you don't say anything like what an interesting song. You know what I mean? What an interesting feeling to write about. Um, and then you've got songs like uh, Moving Out, which that exemplifies the 80s sound of of what music can be like it. Like, there's this 
like I feel it when I listen to it, like it's moving forward, which is, I guess, in line with the song because the song is about moving on and, and moving forward. And I, I just love the way that it sounds. If you haven't heard the album, please go listen to the album because it's amazing. Um, and it's something that I'll probably be listening to for a very long time. Um, and so that's one of my favorites. And then another one, last one, is The Shapes I'm In by Stephen Day. And this one came out very recently. This was like a week and a half ago, maybe. Um, and if I haven't talked about Stephen Day before, he's freaking awesome. Uh, he has an EP, an album, and then this was his second album that came out. Uh, and personally, of the three, my favorite is uh, Guess I'm Grown Now, which is the first album that he did. Um, but this album, The Shapes I'm In, was good. And I think that I would give it a probably an 8 out of 10. Um, oh, I didn't give Harmony House a recommendation. I, I would say Harmony House gets a probably a 9 out of 10. Um, and it could be like 9.5, but I'm going to give it a 9. Uh, and so I just love that. Album. But yeah, The Shapes I'm In probably gets an 8 or like a 7.8, probably something like that. And that is because it is a phenomenal experimental pop record that uses different, like, it uses different feelings that every song you listen to is emotionally different and it's musically different and I love it. Except for one song, which really brings down the rating, uh, called Ride. I hate it with a passion burning <laughs> brighter than a thousand suns. It is like, it has to be a joke. Like, I can't believe that he would actually put out a record that sounded that bad um, because it's sort of like this attempt at, like, mumble rap like that sound of of music with the auto tune and all that, but it's not mumble rap. Like he's trying to sing in auto tune, and also like it just doesn't fit. Like his type of music is, yeah, this sucks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, isn't that horrible? It might, would have been okay if it weren't for the auto tune. Exactly, exactly. Now put on, uh, put on, on top of the world. This is a Stephen Day record. This is what he sounds like. You know what I mean? Ah, much better. A breath of clean air after the monstrosity we just heard. Exactly. And I mean, listen to his voice when he comes in. We were leaving for the Like, it's beautiful. Easy breathing. Don't wreck that angelic voice with autotune. What do you think it produces? Exactly. It's no way to live. And in that in that clean drum sound, right? And then that like wispy electric guitar thing he's doing with and then the synth. It's just amazing. Like I love that song. Um and uh Nothing's Wrong With Me is a great song off that album. Uh Won't Have to Break is great. Like there's a lot, a lot, a lot of good songs, but I also love it because every song is different. Like that song is very wispy, right? It's very high up, which goes with the theme of being on top. Um, like I think it's a callback to a better time is, is, is what the song is about. Whereas Ride, right? Like that's really down in the dumps of like really like, you know, you know, it sounds like it's a, it's a, it's a song that you could hear in a club, right? Like late at night where it's been raining. You know what I mean? Not to mention the horrible, horribleness of it. I just hate that song. Well, that's because everyone's drunk in the club. They don't care what the music sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I would say... Because of all of that, I would give it a solid 7.8. If Ride was not on it, it would get up a letter grade to the 8. I would say, yeah, if Ride was not on there, I would say like 8.4. That's That would be my recommendation. It's interesting how excluding songs can be 
part of the album in the sense that why not just not listen to that song and then but but then again you say like the audacity to even bother including it and just kind of wrecking the feel so i understand why that does make the rating go away yep for sure and and yeah i mean if it wasn't for that song it would go up because again like like i said there's these wispy songs there's these like sort of rock sounding songs with like a four on the floor beat and like it's great. And then there's like these songs like in six, eight time from like, they sound like they're from the fifties. You know what I mean? It's great. It's great. I would definitely listen to it, but yeah, that's my recommendation. Do you have any recent album reviews that you'd like to give? Just one. It's a little older. Let me find it though. I always appreciate your memory for exactly the artists and exactly the albums. I have to look every time. Yeah. I don't know why I do that. I, I, I realized recently that people don't like just listen straight through to albums and they don't necessarily know the album name or the artist's name. Yeah. Which is understandable, I guess, because song name is really all that matters sometimes. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I just pay attention to that specifically for some reason. I typically listen all the way through the album, but then I will basically forget what the album title was and forget what most of the song titles were. So anyway, that's your mm-hmm. that's your special yeah. talent. There we go. I've been enjoying an artist called Pogo. He takes samples from movies. And he's just this, he's also just like this Australian guy with this this deep, boomy voice. You should probably listen to some of his like narration videos. They're very interesting. Look at this shameless product placement. But if you listen to his music, he takes samples from Disney, mostly Disney, and also just movies in general, chops up those samples and tunes them to go along with his electronic and kind of floaty style of music. And we've been listening to these in pretty much every Mario Kart night, which has been been a lot of fun. <laughs> It's taking, you know, Winnie the Pooh, remixing Winnie the Pooh, and it's it's pretty, it's really, really good. I've been enjoying it a lot. So that's Ascend by Pogo, which came out in 2018, and that is definitely worth your time. Yeah, I will definitely look into that. That's interesting. I, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody doing that before, but that's that's really cool. I have a recommendation for all you fine listeners out there. If you read books, if you don't read books, just skip this chapter. But if you do read books, you will appreciate an idea for a book that you should read. In light of our recent cycling conversation and in light of my recent cycling in general, the book itself is called Just Ride, A Radically Practical Guide to Riding Your Bike, and it's written by Grant Peterson. This book starts out with the intro where Grant Peterson writes and says, I'm normally not a very contrarian person, and I'm going to sound more rude and mean than I actually am in this book, but I have so many strong opinions on cycling that I just have to get it out there, so here's this book for you where I'm going to give all my hot takes and controversial opinions on cycling. And the main idea of the book, summarized down so that you don't have to read it, is that the racing industry, the cycling racing industry, has crept in to the casual cycling industry. And because of that, people are not feeling like they can approach cycling. And so they're just not cycling at all. They're just, you know, riding their car and Mm. not doing anything. And the idea is that, okay, in the olden days, the only people who used clipless and special jerseys and even like helmets kind of and things like that, were the people who were let, like let's try to go in a circle around a track and even like different people who had like nine or ten gears they were the you know the professional racers who had to go through the course as fast as possible so they need this exact gear ratio to get the exact amount of power and all these things mm-hmm. and that of course when you go into any store like oh show me your cycling section that's the type of stuff you're going to see it's going to be it's trying to set you up to go ahead and race around and get really fast times but mm-hmm. that's not exactly, and it's funny, you, you mean you're using a little five bike, so Grant is not necessarily <laughs> optimized for speed, more endurance, but either way, mm-hmm. 
it's interesting because people see that and then they think, well, that's not really what I'm going for. And then they don't feel like they can cycle for practical purposes because he's basically saying, well, if your bike has like three to eight gears and that's a like no front gear, just three to eight back gears. And then he, he talked about like shifting with your legs where it's like, well, if you're going up a hill and you only have three gears to choose from, just pick the best one you can and then pedal harder if you have to. It's like, that's mm-hmm. actually kind of funny. He's like, well, if you have 10 gears, you're just going to be constantly like using them to try to get the right one and fiddling around and just more to maintain and more weight and more braking things. Mm-hmm. And for someone who goes like 10 minutes to and from class, you're fine with like three to eight gears, which is like a pretty good point. And he also kind of made the case for, I of course disagree, always wear your helmet, kids. This is not medical advice. But he told, talked about here's some interesting ideas for why you shouldn't wear your helmet in the sense that you might take more risks when you wear your helmet. And if you don't wear your helmet, you're going to like, oh, I'm going to be safe and avoid this like ice over black ice over here and not go in the puddle. And mm. if you wear your helmet, oh, I'm invincible. And then you're not paying attention. You get hit by a truck. And if you get hit by a truck, the helmet won't extremely help you. You're probably going to die. You will look less experienced to cars, so they will be super careful. Because if you look experienced, the cars won't necessarily give you that much space. And he also said, like, you should try to be a little unpredictable. It's like the most unintuitive stuff ever. He says, if you're a little bit, act a little bit shaky and like you're not fully signaling and fully stopping at the right time, then the cars will give you a super wide berth. And that's great because that's super (laughs) safe. And it's just, it's really funny. So a lot of counterintuitive kind of wisdom in there. But basically the last chapter is a good one. It talks about your bike is a toy and you should treat it like that because unless you make money with your bike, which almost no one does, you should have fun cycling. You should have the equipment that you feel like you need to have. And that might mean not dressing in cycling clothes as much as like dressing for the destination you're going to, not for the journey mm-hmm. it takes. Because if you're giving a presentation, you need to wear a button-up shirt and, you know, nicer pants. Do that. Get on your bike. You're fine. It's not like you're doing a eight-hour ride. You're doing like a 10 to 30-minute ride. You can mm-hmm. handle being in a button-up shirt. Like, it's fine. And then you get there and you're good. And then he basically is just saying that you don't have to follow this stereotype of I'm going to be racing around. Just use your bike to help you you don't exist to serve your back. Yeah, I love that. That's really, and especially in Bloomington, when you see cyclists, they are traditionally, unless you're on a trail, they've got all the, the gear and the garb and everything. And it, it, it is really intimidating. And I think that that's dumb. Like biking just takes two wheels and a pedal and you're you on the bike and that's it. I've always loved cycling because it's not... Like there is some skill, but like there's not that much skill. You just get on the bike and you ride. And if you learned like everybody else did when they were in like, you know, their childhood, like we're all on the same playing field and we can all do the same thing. Whereas like basketball, it's like you got to be really good at this specific thing and you got to have all these really specific skills. And I was never good at that. So like I loved biking and I loved Well, I didn't love cross country, but it was a good outlet for me because, again, it didn't really require any specific skills. It just required endurance and the ability to show up. Um, but yeah, I, I really love that point. And two, now again, this is not medical advice. Don't take my word for it, but I don't ride with a helmet when I go to class because number one, really it's a selfish reason of, I don't really have one and I don't want to look like an idiot when I ride. So, cause my helmet makes me look like an idiot. So I don't wear it. Um, but it does make me safer. It makes me a lot safer. And if I didn't have it, I would probably take a lot more risks than I do because I know that if I take a writ, like I go slower when it's raining or I, if it's gravel, like, you know, that like, you know what I mean? Like I'm way more conscious of that stuff. So that is, that is a very counterintuitive, but clever way to make yourself be safe. And if you would have told me that before I read the book, I would have been shaming you. But because I read this book and heard actual well thought out reasons for why a helmet may not be necessary, especially if you're not even going that fast to begin with, I mean, just hop off if you need to. 
that is definitely mm-hmm. a, a super interesting point, and I will be less less shaming toward the people around campus who don't wear helmets. <laughs> Just please stop at the stop signs for all that's good and holy. Yes, <laughs> I agree with that. Um, now, if the stop sign's not busy, I'm not going to stop because... <laughs> You know, that's just not how that works. But if it's a busy stop sign, like 7th and Jordan, yeah, I think it's 7th, and Jordan, like that stop right by the Neil Marshall Center. and Yeah, good good grief, if you value your life. <laughs> oh, yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, good stuff, man. That's a really, I love all that. I, I should probably read that book. Well, one of my, honestly, one of my pet peeves too with cycling is like when people are on their phones when they're cycling um, because that is, I mean, it's just like texting and driving. It's super, super dangerous because you're taking, not only are you taking your like eyesight off of the road, but you're also taking your attention, which is arguably more important off of the road because you like, you can look at the road and see what you're doing, but if you don't have the attention to like focus on it and actually know what you're supposed to do next, you're screwed. And so when you take your eyes off and you like look at your phone, you're giving your attention to your phone. I, I don't know. The whole thing is really stupid and I wish people wouldn't be on their phones. Yeah. But that also applies to a lot of other things in life. Like when I am with somebody like just hanging out and they get on their phone, like that's, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? There's this great quote I would like to introduce to the audience. It is by Scott Simpson. Now, who is Scott Simpson, you ask? You know, that's a really good question. I have no idea. Some random Twitter user, that's what I will say. But this random Twitter user, Scott Simpson, said the following quote. Quote, my new standard of cool. When I'm hanging out with you, I never see your phone ever, ever, ever. End quote. Now, that that's interesting and powerful. We've all been around the person who is never on their phone. It's like, do you even have a phone? Yeah, I do. I just, you know, I don't use it around you because I'm nice. Okay, great. And then you have more respect for that person. And then we're all around for the opposite time when the person is not paying full attention to you because there's more interesting things going on on the internet. I have a notes document on my phone called like life lessons or something like that. Anytime I hear a lesson from someone or kind of naturally learn a lesson through making mistakes, etc. that I think is good to remember, I'll put it on there because my memory's a goldfish as we've already established in previous episodes and I just need to <laughs> get it down there so I can look at it. And I immediately added this to the life lesson and I added it to the there's a section in there for the life lessons of interacting with other people, like rules of engagement type stuff. It's like, how should mm-hmm. I interact with the world? And so one of the ways in which I definitely try to interact with the world is, unless there's a pretty darn good reason, I do not take out my phone when sort of hanging out one-on-one with people. There are times when I do, and I typically feel a little guilty for it, which I guess means it's working. But if I am truly answering like a family member's text or trying to get like a crucial piece of information for like where we're going next on the map or something like that, there are times to do it. It shouldn't be like, oh, this pacifier, like, let me suck on this all the time. You should, it, it costs something. It's so, it socially should cost something to do it, which is why you need to cl- clear the barrier of whether or not this is truly worth it to, to get it out for this particular purpose. Yeah, no, that's super real. And I, like, when I'm with somebody and they take out their phone and they start doing stuff on it, like, that, I mean. Don't hold back, Joe. I wouldn't say that I'm angry, but just, like, the step below angry, just frustrated. Like, it's like, why, like. Why can't we just have a conversation? You know what I mean? And like, it just really shows where that person's head is at. Now, of course, if it's a good reason, like if I can, if I can tell that they're like, obviously busy with something more important than me, like that's fine. Um, because, because again, (laughs) to be honest with you, we're all kind of narcissists and we all want people to pay attention to us. And when they don't, we're like, ah, but like, you know, if, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a good reason then like that's totally whatever you know what I mean but like and and I'm not perfect at it either by the way like I I do this more than I'd like to and sometimes it even takes the shape of like 
when I, if I have my guitar in my hand, right? Like I'm playing and trying to listen, which half works and half doesn't. And so that, that's interesting. I'm trying to get better about that. That's more, a little more classy. Yeah, I would agree. Cause it's not, cause, cause again, with your phone, it's like, it completely removes you from whatever you're doing. And, and there's this hard stop there that like makes you stop paying attention to whatever you're doing. I try to like, if I can like even put it on do not disturb or like keep it in my pocket or keep it below the table or whatever, like, and I only get it out if the other person does, you know what I mean? Um, because I don't want them to feel like I don't care about what they're saying. Yeah. So shame to the people who run stop signs, shame to the people who get on their phone and not the technology is evil, but and in fact, this week, I've been especially thinking that technology really isn't evil, because if I had to do college with no ability to look at maps on my phone, no ability to look at like businesses, addresses and numbers on my phone and no ability to talk to anyone I want at any almost reasonably any time they're awake, that would make college pretty tough, which is something my parents, of course, dealt with. They just had to look at maps and be animals and figure everything out the old school way. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I just need to be careful not to like weaponize it against other people. It's just if I'm not around other people, I can use it to get in and get out and really get some a lot of stuff done very quickly. Yeah. And I think another like that 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 is all like a good point. I think another thing for me with this is like it's kind of like a good standard. Like if I, I want to be able to, I want to be hanging out with people that I don't even want to look at my phone. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's not like, obviously, you know, meeting with your boss, like you have to do that, you know, (laughs) and don't like look at your phone when you're doing that. But like, it's, it's honestly like for me, that's a good standard of like, if, if I'm hanging out with people I truly enjoy, like I shouldn't even want to look at my phone. You know what I mean? Yeah, agreed. And I guess, I guess that's just a tough a tough life thing, a life question you need to think about. If, I mean, if you're if you're kind of like thinking, well, I hang out with a lot of people, and yes, you can't get rid of your boss, whatever. But I hang out with a bunch of people. Eighty percent of them I don't really love. Twenty percent of them I love. Well, <laughs> maybe don't hang out with the eighty percent, and then give your full attention to the twenty percent. Now all the time you wasted on the eighty percent of people that you can be on your phone all you want. No, no judgment from me. Exactly, and that's like, and that's I think we're good. Like that's where actual relationship building and like leadership and mentorship and like that sort of stuff happens in that 20% that really, you know, maybe needs that attention or, you know, maybe that's just where you thrive the most. And then you, you both get the best out of it because you're able to like focus in on them and not necessarily the other 80% that like you kind of get along with, you know, it's like, (laughs) but it's just sort of like something that you have to, you have to figure out yourself when you think about it. And not that there's anything wrong with having acquaintances or more casual friendships. It's just like, you kind of need to understand the role they play in your life and it kind of move forward from there. Exactly. Exactly. Good stuff. Good stuff. And speaking of having good stuff into your life, (laughs) I'd like to do a deeper dive. I think we should handle this like a trilogy almost. Last episode, Mm. we talked about a brief overview of all the Enneagram types in case any of our listeners don't know. Now, wink wink our listeners probably do know like more than the average audience about (laughs) just based Mm -hmm. on the people that listen they probably know a lot about the enneagram but hopefully it's somewhat interesting to hear our take on the different types and sort of of course we think about things in a slightly different way than you the listener would think about things so i think that this should be part two in a series of three episodes and the sequel you know sequel to last time and that means that we're going to analyze all the enneagram stress directions and then we can save the growth directions, the good one for the last one, so we don't have to end on a downer note or anything like that. I like that. I like that. Yeah. And and for anybody who's unfamiliar, like, so the Enneagram, obviously, you know, nine numbers, that's something I think people forget is that they all relate to each other and nobody is strictly one thing. Like, and I think like wings help with that, but like, just remember nobody, like you you can never be put in a box, no matter how specific the Enneagram gets, like we're all special and in our own ways. And so, um, 
but we're all related to each other in ways that we handle things. But the Enneagram stress direction, stress arrows help us to uh, identify ways that we get stressed out and then hopefully to like stop doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let us take a deep dive, look into the Enneagram stress directions. I, of course, am uniquely qualified to talk about, of course, number one, the reformer. Where do we move in times of stress? And basically how this works, you resemble a different type, but you resemble the bad aspects of them. You don't take on the good aspects of that type because every type has good and bad aspects. It's just you resemble them if they were real and healthy. Hopefully that makes sense. The one moves to an unhealthy side and turns into more resembling of a four. Now, four, of course, I'm constantly washed in a sea of my own emotions, all those things. And that is absolutely one. They are, when when quite unhealthy and down, they definitely get a wash in a sea of their own emotions. Growing up, and my family can attest to this, I was pretty bad about this. If things didn't go my way, if I was unhappy with situations, I'd just sort of go to my room and pout. And here is, is such the key distinction for it. Lots of people maybe go to their room and pout, but sort of like what's going on your head in your head when you're pouting. And what happened for me, I was sad and I liked that I was sad. Now, I told myself mm-hmm. I didn't like it. I was like, oh, boo-hoo, if only I could figure out a way to be happy and take care of the situation and everything like that. Basically, giving into the feeling upset about the situation was saying, I am now giving up. I have tried to do the right thing time and time again. I've sort of been messed up and, you know, all those those efforts have been batted away. I now formally give up and I'm going to feel bad about it. And then I get to feel good that I feel bad about it because I guess I exhausted all my options. I probably didn't really mm-hmm. exhaust all my options, but it's just truly moving to that feeling sad and feeling happy about feeling sad in a terrible twisted way yeah yeah for sure and that's like a hundred percent what what fours do because they and I, I even feel that sometimes i you know i i kind of relish the feeling of sadness and like yeah i understand that but yeah the I, which is odd to me because ones seem to be very separated from their emotions most of the time um mm-hmm. and then at least from my perspective they do and then like just to think they intentionally give that impression well there you go wow yeah and then but when you guys are stressed out that all kind of comes rushing out yeah absolutely the other like more subtle subtle way of looking at it and this i haven't seen this really talked about anywhere it's sort of like the enneagram is a a newer system and so many many things have yet to be sort of uncovered and talked about in the community the more subtle end of turning into an unhealthy four is wanting to be unique of course the four that's the whole their whole deal they want to be unique and wanting to be unique in an unhealthy way. And so you might well, kind of wonder what, what's that all about. Joe, I'm not going to share all of these examples. Many of them are like, I'm not <laughs> sharing them on the podcast. The one of them that I'm happy to share is that when I was younger, if I got like not a new phone, of course, but like a nicer or newer iPod than like I perceived the other people around them, I'd feel like, yeah, I'm so cool. I'm different. And I have like a, a different thing that everyone else and aren't I cool. And I just felt good about it. But again, in kind of like a twisted way, because I think as a one, it's not that you're boring, but you sort of just are, you know, chugging along, la-di-da, nothing too interesting going on here you want to think about yourself as like, oh, I'm so special and cool. And anything you can kind of artificially boost yourself up with special and coolness, that tends to happen. If you're honest with yourself, you realize, I know I'm happy with more boring and basic things most of the time. So if I don't truly want something for me and I'm just thinking that it will make me cool and set me apart just for the reason of wanting to feel set apart, that's a red flag and run away from that as fast as you humanly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to me. Um, because, yeah... Yeah, that's, I have really nothing else to add to that. That's just really interesting, and I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, so also, uh, two things. If you want to have a better uh, visual of this, you can always look up the Enneagram and just type, you know, stress arrows or whatever, 
and uh, it'll have it looks like a weird web, but mm-hmm. it has it'll always point to the next like from the one that's unhealthy goes to the, you know the next one, and so yep, yep. and obviously like Zachary was saying, what that means is that that type just takes the unhealthy or negative qualities of that other type, and so uh, moving on to the two, uh, the helper it goes to the eight. Um, and they all kind of go in a circle, but we're just going to do them one by one. Uh, and so, uh, the two is obviously the helper. We talked about that. Um, but it, when it, when, when the two gets stressed out, they tend to be, uh, it's, I've seen it happen before. It's sort of like an eruption. That's a good word for it. Uh, of, of anger and frustration. And they are all of a sudden on their toes, ready to fight, ready to do it. Like, yeah. And, and so they go from this, and I think it all comes out of this, I, I, at least it can come out of this protective nature of like, why would this other party do this against me? Like they deserve, you know what I mean? And they go Mm -hmm. crazy on them. Um, and like I said, I've seen it happen a couple of times. It's very jarring when it happens. Uh, and, uh, it's quite the sight, but, uh, but yeah, they go to the eight and obviously the eight is, you know, this intense, uh, you know, passion driven person. And when they get unhealthy, they are argumentative and they are confrontational. And so the two kind of takes that on, um, in an unhealthy way, um, which is, you know, sometimes it can be good, but they call it a stress line for a reason. So, uh, it's not always the healthiest thing. Um, but you know, we still love our twos. And really the reason that happens is because the two helps everyone, but because we're all sinful creatures, etc. They help people, and then in their heart of hearts, deep down, if they look, they want to be helped in the same way they help others. And when that doesn't happen, they get pretty mad. Like, I spent all this time helping you, and you don't even help me back. You're just a lazy fool. And then they turn into an eight and start beating you up with words. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, that's something that I think with every two, you got to try and... I mean, it's not... I don't think it's humanly possible, but, like, try to match them or at least try you know what i mean ask them how they're doing and and check up on them and that's a good thing for everybody to be honest yeah because then you can avoid the unhealthy eight because if they wanted you to be you know taking out the trash every night and they were doing it or something but silly example but that way you can just avoid them ever getting angry because you figure out how to distribute all the help so that everyone's mostly happy exactly exactly the next one we're going to focus on is type three the achiever we could do these in the order where it's like we now we talk about eight but i feel like it's slightly more straightforward to go just one through one through nine here so three Mm -hmm. is the achiever and i know a handful of them and the three, six, nine are interesting. They're all kind of interlinked in a triangle when you look at the Enneagram circle, that is. And you can think about it as backwards and forwards. Healthy would move forward up a number to the six and then moves down a number, but then you're out of number. So loop back around to the nine. Hopefully that's helpful. That works for all of them. Six, move ahead to the nine. Nine, when healthy, move ahead to the three. Anyway, they move backwards and loop around and go back to the nine. And that basically means that they're taking on the negative characteristics, which is to be very passive. Here's this person who wants to achieve and wants to do well and wants to seize the day, carpe diem, all this stuff. And they're just, life is beating them down. So they're just going to give up and just completely shut down. And it's, it's pretty much as simple as that. They see that their efforts aren't getting them anywhere and just, okay, I give up, bye-bye. And then they don't really want to talk or move or do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I, I can feel as a nine, like when I get sort of, I mean... You know, because, you know, as whatever number you are, you also feel this, these stress qualities They're you know, they are unique to every number. But as the nine, you know, I, I feel that when I am sort of just not in the mood and I just get really avoidant and like you were saying, passive and I just need to be left alone and not think about anything, which is not productive. 
which again is why they call it a stress line. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is the three. Uh, so moving on to the four, um, they are uh, so they are the individualists, and so here they're these people that are chiefly concerned with how they differentiate themselves from other people. And when that is not met, when that is not uh, done, they see what people could be perceiving them as, you know, as this, you know, unique person or whatever, and they don't. And that makes them feel stressed out. And so they move to the two. Uh, And so they take the unhealthy qualities of a two, which are to be, these are all loose, you know, and I'm not saying every two is like this or every four unhealthy four is like this, but twos can be sort of manipulative when they're unhealthy. And so the, the four ends up trying to take matters into their own hands in a backhanded way. Yeah. Um, and they can be sort of, you know, dramatic in, in everybody's business and trying to manipulate situations for their benefit. And it doesn't, it, it's not good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always, it usually doesn't end up working, uh, for their favor. Um, because you know, they're, yeah, it, it just is unhealthy and it doesn't actually fix the problem. The next one we have is the five, the investigator, the more quiet and mature type, I guess. That's sort of how I think of them. They move to the unhealthy seven. As someone who moves to the healthy seven, I guess I was sort of, when I first heard about this, I was confused in the sense that how does, isn't seven a pretty positive type and everything? And like, how does that work moving to the unhealthy seven? Basically what it is, is they use, well, the ones I know, use humor and kind of being funny to put themselves down. Mm. And they're, they're not using it to lift others up. They're not using it to be productive. They just feel bad or guilty or upset about something. And so they're like trying to make a joke out of it, but you can tell they're not really. They're just kind of using that as a shield against the, the mm. actual emotions. Yeah. And I don't know a lot of five, so I can't really corroborate that. But, um, you know, it, I, I, I would imagine that is pretty accurate. Moving on to the six, the loyalists. So these are the people who love to know the plan and they want to know what's happening and they like to be secure. That's like their thing. Uh, and then when they are not uh, secure, when that, need, when that need is not met, they... Uh, go to the unhealthy three, which is uh, very, oh, man, it, <laughs> it's weird to see it happen because all of a sudden they turn into these very competitive uh, people who care a lot about how people see them, um, which is, you know, an unhealthy three will put on this mask and they, they, they need to, uh, you know, what they do is who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of a sudden this really mostly level-headed six becomes this, goal-driven, competitive, you know, brash, uh, mask-wearing person who needs to know what people think, but also present themselves in a way that is good because all of a sudden they are what they do um, because all, they can't control the situation anymore, so they have to do it themselves, which, again, is is a very weird transition to, to see happen, but I've seen it happen before, and it's weird. It just, uh, It's just, yeah, it's strange. And I think the reason you're picking up that it's strange is because the performing nature of the three can itself seem strange. I mean, it's definitely not something really any of the other types tend to do naturally. And I have known a couple of unhealthy sexes in my life. And essentially what it is, is yes, they're competitive. They're also, the three is very concerned with their image of their own design and different groups. Maybe they will act in different ways to make that happen. So for an unhealthy six, they will definitely be very overly concerned about how other people view them. And they'll want to sort of put on a show to get people to think a certain way. And what has typically happened is you, you talk to people, it's like, oh, I met in certain name of unhealthy six. And they were like this X, Y, and Z. And you're like, what are you talking about? Unhealthy six I know is like ABC. What, who are you talking about? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And so that was of course very odd. And then I discovered the Enneagram and it explains all life's problems. And I realized, sort of realized <laughs> what was happening. Mm-hmm. 
For sure, for sure. And that's that's a great point. Next, we have the seven or the enthusiast, and they move to the one. Now, my understanding of how this works, and Joe, maybe you can fill me in a bit. There's, of course, most of the time concerned about being carefree and avoiding pain and all of this fun stuff. And then once they feel stressed out, they try to make things a very particular way, but in an unhealthy way. They try to kind of micromanage and control everything so that, and this is where I'm maybe making things up a little bit. Joe, can you fill me in on a little bit more on how this works? Yeah, well, and, and I don't have that much extra perspective. I, I know a few sevens. Um, I've lived with a couple. And what I can see is when a seven gets stressed out, um, number one, they will flee um, anything that makes them feel trapped. Um, and then uh, what will happen is they they will they will try to make a system for everything. Uh, I know a seven who, when she gets stressed out, she cleans and she organizes and she reorganizes uh, because it makes her feel better. It's a pretty productive thing to do if you're unhealthy. I agree. I agree. Um, but they they care a lot about the specifics. Everything sort of becomes this black and white because now playtime's over and, you know, we can't be carefree anymore. And so we have to make decisions. And so they end up making these decisions that aren't, that aren't always the best. They, you know, because a one can, you know, sometimes look at things too black and white. Um, and, and the seven starts to do that and make these, these decisions and these judgment calls that aren't always going to line up with who they actually are, or at least that's what I've seen. Then we have the eight, which is the challenger. This one is the one of the more straightforward movements, in my opinion, moves to a five in stress, which is basically where this like powerful, challenging personality just kind of gives up, not in the sense of giving up from the three moving to a nine, because the nine is more like passive sitting in a chair kind of deal. But moving to a five in stress means that you're more like go to your room and lock the door and don't talk to anyone. Because like, yeah, the mm-hmm. nine sitting in a chair, but they're probably still going to talk to you and they're fine. They're just not making any movement. The five is like, no, lock the door and don't let anyone in. And I just I am going to be alone and deal with my own thoughts and kind of maybe wallow a bit in my own self-pity sounds familiar mm-hmm. according to the one but yeah that's that one's a pretty straightforward movement do you have anything to add at all with that one? yeah no i mean i again this is this is one that you just wouldn't really expect because eight and five are really in my opinion far apart uh, as well as as far as personality goes it would be hard to pick two more different types than that yeah and so all of a sudden this very intense you know almost in your face type of person is now somebody you don't see anymore and all of a sudden they've just dropped off the map and it's because they just they choose to isolate themselves which is really unfortunate so if you ever see anybody doing that like you know reach out and make sure they're okay yeah anyway that was that's kind of serious there didn't mean for that to happen (laughs) um but yeah moving on to the nine so as a nine, I can speak to this probably the best out of all of them, uh, just because that's what I am. And so when I get stressed out, um, or when the nine gets stressed out, they start to overthink. Uh, and this is a quality most associated with the six, although uh, we've said this before, it is not all sixes, but a, a lot do you know have anxiety and they think about the worst case scenario all the time. And so when I get stressed out, um, I go from this attitude of I can I can put this off, I can put this off, I can put this off, this is okay, to or like, you know, everything is fine, everything is fine, everything is fine, everything is fine, to, you know, holy Lord of mercy, I this is not okay, and I need to start <laughs> thinking about everything that could happen, and that might make me feel you know what I mean? Yep. And so I like I go through my head of like 
okay, what happens if, if they say this or what happens if I say this? And, and really it's not healthy at all because it makes me stressed out and anxious and it doesn't actually help anything because unlike a six, I don't actually feel better after I've thought of all the ways things can go wrong. It just makes me more stressed out. I think in a sense, now I don't know if this is more personal to me, but when I feel stressed out, which by the way, for a nine feeling stressed out could feel like a lot of things. Uh, for me, one thing is like when, when I feel like people are counting on me for something, um, that makes me stressed out like a lot. And so what I, what I personally do is I freak out and then I go like hands off. Like I don't want to touch it. You know what I mean? Like I, I want to be as far away from the thing that's stressing me out as I possibly can. Yeah. It happens in all of my life and I, I hate it sometimes because it, it, it's just not helpful. Um, and I don't know if that's just me or an all, all nines thing, but that's, that's sort of what I experience. But more often than not, nines will just start to overthink, overanalyze and, uh, stress themselves out, which is, uh, no good for anybody. Uh, this, this whole segment has been kind of a downer to be honest. Yeah. That's why next time we have to go to the, the upper instead of the downer, which is where we talk about the health directions, but it would be hard to reasonably fit that in, which is why it's a sequel. Yes. Yes. For sure. For sure. But yes, hopefully that, uh, helps lighten the uh, load of trying to understand all this stuff. And again, I, I would personally, what helped me a lot is to look at the chart and, and look at it with the with the arrows, um, with growth and stress, because it does make sense when you look at the when you look at the chart because they all go in a circle. Like so, the one goes to the four in stress. The four goes to the two. The two goes to the eight. Uh, the eight goes to the five, and the five goes to the. Six seven and the seven goes to the one and the one goes to the four you know so it goes in a circle and if you reverse the direction you get the stress instead of the unhealth and vice versa and all exactly that. it is it is helpful to have the visual there um so i would say definitely give that a look absolutely but yeah that's all i've got for this we have one final topic that shouldn't take too long but it's more of a happy note instead of ending on a downer this is i can maybe talk about it for a while but we'll keep it short the idea of doing things with confidence exclamation point mm. there's a lot of facets to this i think i was thinking about it because i was recently watching a movie called Catch Me If You Can. Essentially, it's where this character played by... Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes, Leonardo DiCaprio. He plays Frank Abagnale, who is this, you know, young 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid who just goes, escapes from... Well, I say escape. Runs away from his family and flies around the world. He pretends to be an airline pilot so he can get free rides and just go go ahead with the other more experienced pilots on the plane for free. He pretends to be a lawyer and then, well, he passes the bar exam by studying and then pretends to be a liar. And then he pretends to be a doctor and works in a clinic and like oversees 18 nurses and like a couple of doctors in training and all these things. And then he forges all of these checks so that he can get basically he can take money from the airline and then they don't know that anything's going wrong. Then they look back, you know, 10 years later and see that he's taken three million dollars over, you know, in whatever 1960s money. It would have been quite a bit that he mm -hmm. that he stole from the airlines and they just thought that they were paying for someone's salary. But they, you know, <laughs> were being cheated out of a lot of money. And then he. Well, you know, spoilers, went to work for the FBI, essentially stopping people from doing what he did. And the reason it's so interesting is because he was able to do all these things by acting so confident that no one ever questioned him. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I, I would definitely go watch it because it's a phenomenal movie that keeps you interested the whole time. Um, but, I mean, it is seriously like it's crazy because he's literally a kid who gets his hands on an airline pilot's outfit and then just walks in 
and he's like forged the documents that he needs and just walks in and because he's got the thing to flash at the person and they just are like okay you're good like hop on the you know what i mean and he starts to, and same with the doctor like he just walked into a hospital with his you know a fake uh diploma and a lab coat and a stethoscope and they started to believe him and he had no idea how to do any of that stuff and so it, it's just crazy and he like and, and that whole idea of like Fake it till you make it, right? Like that is a very real thing, at least for me. Yeah. Like it, if I if I if I can like it's almost like lying to yourself. Honestly, it's like <laughs> it's like you just lie to yourself and make yourself feel like something. Well, I don't know. Is that too harsh? I don't know. Well, here's the thing: lying to yourself is often thought of as bad. Like I'm unhappy with the situation, but I'm just gonna lie to myself and say it's okay, so I don't have to do anything. All of that. Maybe it's not that you're lying to yourself; it is that you're kind of like telling your body, and mind, and psychologically like tricking yourself. You know, it's this concept of like the second brain. You have your brain that does its mm. thing, and then you're kind of like watching your brain and wondering why it does the things it does. It's like a small brain inside yeah. of the other brain. Anyway, you're tricking like the big dumb version of your brain to saying like this is okay. We're not in danger. You can you know be relaxed be confident take up space look people in the eye you're, you're all good it's like you know basic basic social stuff that a lot of people seem to <laughs> not learn if you just sort of look around at society but it really it really does come down to tricking yourself to approach a situation with confidence maybe you don't know everything guess what nobody knows everything exactly the people that seem confident i mean if they've been in the industry whatever you're dealing with for 40 50 years okay they're confident if they are you know three years ahead of you they're a little confident, but also yeah, it's perhaps a bit of an act. Yeah. And once you realize that, you can kind of make your life a lot better very quickly. Exactly. And I mean, I remember, I mean, I'm a junior now. And I remember when I was a freshman, how I viewed the juniors in my life. And I was like, whoa, like they are pretty, you know, they're pretty experienced. Like they know what they're doing. And, and in, in a sense, they did. Um, but, you know, now that I'm here, it's like, it's like, are, like, are you kidding me? Like, am I supposed to know how to do this stuff and how to lead people and how to like... Be, you know what I mean? Like that stuff is crazy. And so, um, you know, it's, it's just crazy to me that it's sort of like what my cross country coach used to tell me when I was, cause we would do breathing exercises as we ran. And one thing he always wanted to get down was, was as you run, you, you, uh, breathe in and out with the footfalls. So like, you know, it'd be like, I don't know if you can hear this, but like one, two, three, four, breathing in. And then you breathe out one, two, three, four as your feet are hitting. Yeah. So you kind of keep pace like that. It's a good idea. Which helps you to keep running at the same pace, but also helps because what he would say is in the nose, out the mouth. And it, literally, you just like have to, even though it feels like you're dying, <laughs> you have to like convince your brain that it's going to be okay and we're going to catch our breath and everything will be fine. And then you just start to do that, which is insane. Like if... If I can convince myself that like I'm okay and I can talk to all these people and like I can lead this well, then I'll just start to do it. It's like a placebo that you give yourself. You know what I mean? It's crazy. And that sure does beat the thing your body naturally oftentimes wants to do, which is just breathe in and out through your mouth because then you feel like you're getting, you know, quick breaths in and out. But then you can't get enough if you do that, even though your body kind of mm -hmm. wants to, especially when you're tired, it wants to be lazy and just get like in a little bit of oxygen with no effort. So avoid that at all costs and run with confidence. Now, that reminds me of an interesting kind of conversation we had the other night 
talking about how old people are slash how old they look, which can be, you know, two very different numbers. Mm -hmm. There's a category of people I see on campus where I think you're either 17 or 32 with five kids. (laughs) Yeah. And I just don't have any idea. It's like, are you like this big football player who's 17? Are you kind of like an adult with a bit of a baby face? Like, I just don't know. I could for a million dollars, I couldn't get within five years of your age. It's like flip a coin and roll a dice and that's your age. But that was, and then you brought up a very good point in that conversation. It matters a lot how like are you confident like people might think you're younger if you're less confident versus if you char- kind of charge and it seems like you know what you're doing oh th- this person's been around for a while and they know what they're doing and they must be older exactly and one maybe a little unrelated thing but that's worth considering have you noticed that age stops mattering to some extent in college much more i mean in high school it was you know a big deal what age are you what grade you are you whatever people don't know and they don't care in college i mean if you're applying for something maybe but yeah most of the time 99 percent of the time people are like oh are you junior no i'm not okay great we don't care like whatever yep uh, and people think seniors just started this year and people think freshmen have been around for a long time and just everyone gets everything wrong and no one cares and it doesn't matter kind of like the adult world absolutely dude a hundred thousand percent <laughs> like just practice i remember my first week as a as a freshman and this, it was kind of it was different because my brother invited me, but like I was I I got to go hang out with these with my brother who was graduated at the time, and then two like senior girls. Mm-hmm. It occurred to me when I was hanging out with them, I was like, if this was high school, there is no way ever that I would have been able to do that ever. Like because I just always hung out with people in my grade, um, and you don't really do that in high school. And so then you get to college, and it's like, oh, like there's just everybody's here and it doesn't really matter, you know? And it's like, you can, you can hang out with people older than you and hang out with people younger than you. Doesn't matter in the slightest because everything about college is changing all the time and people hang out with people that you wouldn't expect them to. And it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful time because all of a sudden you don't have to care about like what, how things look, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can just hang out with people. It's just great. Yeah. It's not like this whole goofy thing with like, Oh, they can't, the seniors, they can't be seen to be hanging out with all these baby freshmen. It's just everyone is the same height and (laughs) is roughly the same (laughs) level of intelligence more or less. So it's just like, get, get over yourself and it's all good. And and what you were saying about the, like how old people are, but also how old they look like, like, okay. So I'm thinking about Jake and he, who we have had on before, uh, a, a past guest um he has this big beard yep that sure adds some points yes absolutely and i've heard people that think that he's like 24 25 nice. because of his beard and because of the way that he holds himself yeah i can see it and when i before i stopped shaving um people thought that i was really young because i like and i would say okay facial hair does have a lot to do with it at least for guys um but like it also, again, it depends on how you hold yourself because, like, I went to a CSF event, uh, I think it was Welcome Week and uh, this year, and I was just having fun asking people how old they thought I was. <laughs> Can either be very flattering or unflattering there. Exactly. And so a couple people said that it was, they were like, ah, I mean, like, 22, 23, you know, uh, you know, like, they thought I was a senior, you know. And, uh, and I was like, oh, like I'm 19, like, you know what I mean? And, and, mm-hmm. and they were like, what? Like, it, and it, it's crazy because if, if, again, if you present yourself in a certain way and you, because honestly, I'd say half the battle is how do you act? Mm-hmm. Because if you act like a freshman, people are going to think you're a freshman. And if you act and, and, and make yourself appear to be a senior, people are going to think you're a senior, um, which is just so interesting. And I would love to talk to a sociologist about that, but, uh, here we are. Maybe we can get one on the show. Maybe. <laughs> if you act like a lawyer or a doctor, people will think you are a lawyer or a doctor. It's just, it's that simple. 
which is really which is really awesome, honestly, because technically you can do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now we're for the final note here. We're really getting into you know free psychiatrist stuff, whatever free therapy. <laughs> the first time I went to a CSF event, I was not in college. I was a high school senior who was just sort of going to meet people and see how things were going. And everyone there thought I was in college. Oh, it's like you know you've it's, you've been here for two years, right? And it's like where are you getting this from? And on all this stuff, and just and no one cares. And it's this great. Is it Eleanor Roosevelt who did the quote? Yes, yes. The best quote ever. You wouldn't care so much about what others think of you if you realized how seldom they do. Which is super, super wise. It's freeing. Yep, it's awesome. And all that mental energy you're kind of using to overanalyze yourself. Everyone else is using that same mental energy to overanalyze themselves. It's not being pointed at you. And if that it is that person's a jerk who can go away. And don't just don't don't mess with it. Don't worry about it. Exactly. Had I known that in high school and or middle school, I would have been much more relaxed than I was. Yep. Which and yeah, when I learned when I like read that quote for the first time, I was like, wow, like as much as I care about myself, because I will always stand by this, we're all narcissists. As much as ever, as much as I care about what I look like and how I present myself, everybody else is doing the same thing. And do I really care about the guy that has like mustard in his teeth? No, I don't give a crap about him. I'm worried about the mustard in my. But like that guy's freaking out because he's like, oh, did everybody see? You know, but nobody cares about you, but you. I mean, and that's the that's the harsh way to say it. But yeah, it's like it helps with confidence when you realize that like. Truly, yeah, nobody <laughs> in this world, unless it's your mom, nobody cares about you as much as you do. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely not. Which is both a sad realization, but also a freeing realization. Unless you're like wearing a trash bag or just doing something outlandish, people, you're kind of like invisible. You're an NPC in a video game. No one is analyzing exactly. you. Exactly. You're just like kind of the background scenery and it just, the second they see you, they forget. Not in a mean way. It's just, we all have our own lives and that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the truth. I mean... We are all the background characters in each other's lives. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. But yeah, it, it's, it's also freeing. Yeah, because imagine this. It's it's hard. Sorry, Joe. It's hard for me to imagine you just seem like a background character. I'm the main person here. And then for mm-hmm. you, I'm the NPC who you talk to every now and then. And then <laughs> you you know the real life is happening over here. Where just, and it's like this great thing that they talked about on Cortex this week. There was this book that kind of talked about this idea where you overestimate what you do and only focus on what you do because you're the one doing it and everyone else you basically think they do nothing all day like they sit in a room except for the times you see them like not you don't truly think that but your brain kind of lazily assumes it as well yeah because the classic thing oh my boss he doesn't he or she doesn't do any work well they probably are doing a healthy amount more than you just you only see them when they're not necessarily doing work because they're talking to you (laughs) and that's one percent of their day and you just it's all these mental fallacies that kick into to kind of make you make you think that everyone else is the NPC. Thinking about how sophisticated you know you are as a person, everyone else is also that mm-hmm. sophisticated, maybe even more, who knows. Yeah, which is just crazy. And then you have that times 7 billion, so the amount of sophistication going on there is quite high and not to be just, you know, respect other people and realize there's an actual other person on the other end of things. For sure. I love that, dude. Yep. So uh, stop being such a narcissist, everybody. <laughs> that's our that's our real point here.